0: Romans chapter 10 we're going to start a new chapter this morning and uh, here in in the third section and uh, we're we're uh, moving right along this is lesson 108 in the Roman study and when we come to chapter 10 uh, we come to a chapter that causes a lot of heartache a lot of grief doctrinally a lot of uh, misunderstanding a lot of turmoil in folks' thinking because of what Paul says in it. So as we go here, we'll, we're going to make some uh, introductory remarks. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So this morning we're just going to kind of introduce what, what Paul's doing in the chapter. And then next week we'll get into the dirty details. Um, you can outline this chapter... Really, you can do it any way you want to do it, but there's really, it's really a simple chapter to outline. The first 13 verses, so verse 1 to 13, Paul is dealing specifically why Israel continues to stumble. They, you come out of chapter 9 there, verse 30, What shall we say then? That the, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, that dispensational change has taken place. What, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion... A stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So the first 13 verses of chapter 1 are going to deal with why Israel continues to stumble. Why are they still continued? Then in verse 14 to 21, we'll, he'll demonstrate again, once again, that Israel is without excuse the problem isn't the gentiles the problem isn't god the problem is israel's really israel's persistent pursuit of self righteousness and the righteousness of the law the works of the law and as we go we'll see that so again paul has already demonstrated that israel is without excuse in stumbling over the appearance of the messiah that's what we looked last time there in isaiah 8 and isaiah 7 he get, they get that great sign of the Messiah, of Emmanuel, which is uh, God with us. And because of that, they stumbled at his appearance. They stumble right from the beginning. So he's already proved that, and that stumbling over him led to his crucifixion, led to that. So chapter 10 now is going to kind of pick up on that, but really it's going to deal more specifically with Paul's Acts ministry, Acts 9 to 28, and because of the objections that have been raised and him now dealing with Israel's present condition. Chapter 9 dealt with Israel's past. Where did they stumble? In the past, they stumbled over the appearance of their Messiah. They stumbled over him. They missed him They end up crucifying. But now in chapter 10, Paul is going to take Israel and he's going to say, you're without excuse and that you're continuing in your unbelief. During the Acts transition period from Acts 9 to 28, we'll see as we go through here that Israel continues in the pursuit of her own self-righteousness. And because of that, they're continuing in unbelief, so much so that who do they begin to oppose? The very apostle who's telling them your condition and what's going on and so forth, okay? And the one who's preaching the message that's holding back the wrath, God willing to show his wrath on the vessels fitted for wrath and destruction, and yet they do what with him? They still they're, they're persecuting him. They're chasing him down, and ultimately they'll get him uh, and and have him uh, eliminated. So when you come into chapter ten, there's a lot of language that is is uh, very familiar with chapter nine, and it's language that gets a lot of people honestly doctrinally in trouble. Okay, and it starts in verse one. Look at verse one, brethren. My heart's desire and prayer to God for everyone is that they might be saved. See how that's how they that's how they read this, okay? That's how they read this chapter. So it's important right from the beginning to understand who is Paul writing to? Who is he speaking to? What's his heart's desires for who? Israel. So he's not again, he's talking to apostate Israel, okay? When we look at his Acts ministry, we will see that Paul never went to the little flock. He never provoked the little flock to come and do what the Gentiles do. He's always over there provoking apostate Israel. That's di- those are two different pe- group people, people groups, group people, <laughs> people groups, okay? So when he talks here Again, we need to understand that this chapter isn't written about the Gentiles or really to the Gentiles, okay? Now, I know we sit, read it, and study it because Paul's our apostle, but it doesn't say anything about the Gentiles, and we'll see that here as we go along this morning. Look down at verse 9, 10:9. 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Most will say that that verse is a formula for Gentile salvation. But wait a minute. Who is Paul talking to in the chapter? He's talking to Israel, verse 1. Paul is, Paul is dealing with the nation of Israel in chapters 9, 10, and 11. Her past, her present, and her future. Real simple way to look at it. But rather, what's happening... And again, folks, this is critical to be recognized. Because if you don't, you'll end up in the dangerous doctrines out there. You, know, do you, you guys, are you familiar with Jews for Jesus? Okay, you'll end up in that group. And that's not where you want to end up. Okay? You'll end up, you will end up failing to recognize that Israel has no prominent place with God today. You'll end up, you'll, you'll find yourself in a position that you think everything is still flowing through Israel. And you may say, no, I won't Rick, but yes, you will. If you go down the road. So when, but when you read verse nine, what do the, what do the preacher say? Oh, that's how you got to, you got to confess him. You got to shout, you got to confess. And that verse isn't talking to Gentiles. So in 10.1, right off the bat, who is Paul dealing with? That is, This is critical. He's dealing with Israel here. Okay? So, if you will allow me to make a dogmatic statement, chapter 10 is not written to teach the Gentiles that they now have this glorious opportunity to do what Israel is doing or should have been doing. It has not... Rather... <laughs> Chapter 10 is written for the purpose to get Israel to come and be a part of what God is doing in and through the Gentiles. That is critical to catch when you come to chapter 10. That will save you from breaking your spiritual neck over this chapter. I've seen a lot of good men break their neck in this chapter because they move it from Israel to you and I and make you out there confessing Make you out there running the aisles and doing stuff that you, that have no place in your justification, but yet they say it has to, because see, chapter 10, verse 9 says so. Well, not when you leave it in its context. See, I can pull verses out and make all of you empty out your bank accounts every Sunday. Just ignore what? The context. But when you leave it in its context, A text without a context is a pretext. You're in trouble, so you have to leave it here. Look at verse 12, 10, 12. For there is, what? No difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich upon all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. By the way, you know where that quote is? That quote's in Joel 2. See that? It gets hokey real quick when you begin to say that, hey, what verse 12 and 13 say is that what God is doing today, He already talked about in the prophet Joel, in Joel 2. Wait a second. Didn't Paul say, my message is a secret? It's a mystery? Not if it was talking to who? Not if he made it known in Joel too. See how real quick if you say verse nine is the formula for the Gentiles, then to keep in consistent with your thought pattern, then twelve and thirteen says that Paul's message is no longer a mystery. It's been talked about in the prophets. You follow that? So you got so leave it to who is Paul talking to? ten one. Israel. So you, you've got this you, you've got this thing here. You, you've got this movement. By the way, Joel 2 is not referring to what God is doing today in the dispensation of grace. When we get down there, we'll, we'll go look at Joel 2. Paul, folks here, he's not saying, Hey, Israel, isn't it wonderful that the Gentiles can now come and do what you're doing and, what, and participate in what God's program for you was? He's not saying that at all. Rather, he's saying, hey, Israel, you have to go do what the Gentiles are doing now. Look at verse 12. There is what? No difference between the Jew and the Gentile. He's not saying Gentiles come and do what the Jews. He's looking at the Jews saying, Jews, Israel, Israelites, apostate Israel, you got to get on board with what God's doing through the Gentiles now. Okay, I'm stressing it a little more because... I tell you what, I I hear more people, I talk to more people, I listen to people, I listen to preachers and they come to chapter 10 and they butcher it by trying to make it belong to you and I as the formula for our justification. So you have to remember here, you go back to chapter to, to verse 1. We have to remember by the way chapter 9. In chapter 9, Chapter 9 explains the reason for the dispensational change. Historically, Israel, in in their pursuit for their own righteousness, they were what? Ignorant. They were blind to the claims of the Messiah. When the Lord shows up and he's making claims about who he is, they completely miss him. They stumbled over that. Now, chapter 10 is not repeating that information. Rather, what Paul's going to do here is explain why Israel is still doing what she's doing. Why is Israel still actively pursuing her own righteousness? This is after the rejection of the Messiah after his crucifixion, and what are they still doing? Well, look at verse 3. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. What are they still doing? They're still actively pursuing their own righteousness. They're not coming and doing it the way God's word is now telling them to do it. By the way, doesn't that sound a little familiar to the end of chapter 9, verse 30 and 31 and 32? What did we, wherefore, because they saw, verse 31, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, had not a tie into the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by works, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stoned. It's a similar language, but it's, it's, we're in two different time zones now, if you will. Chapter 9, historically, Israel back there stumbles over the Messiah. Why did they stumble? They're in the pursuit of their own righteousness. Today, why do they continue to do what they're doing? They're in pursuit of their own righteousness. Okay? So chapter 10 here is going to become a demonstration, uh, really, uh, that Israel continues to operate in that pursuit of their own self-righteousness. So they... In that pursuit, they are now rejecting the one who's trying to shake them awake, the Apostle Paul. What did did the Lord Jesus Christ do to them? Try to shake them awake. We're in Mark 5. We get over into Mark 7. And he says, hey, you, whoa. In Matthew, it's, whoa, you hypocrites and scry. Hypocrites, Whoa, woe, you know, by the way, woe, woe is me, that was Isaiah's horse's name, woe is me, <laughs> okay, but it's woe, whenever you read a woe in, te- in, the, in, the, in Israel's program, it, that is not a good thing, okay, and here they are, so we have similar language, and by the way, they use the argument in, in stuff about chapter 10, is they use that similar language argument, they say, see, in 9.30 and following, he says this, he says it again in chapter 10, but yet there's two separate reasons for Paul using similar language. This is what caused the dispensational change, chapter 9. This is what's causing your present condition of you're still in it. You're still in ignorance and unbelief, and this is why. So when you come to, 10, to chapter 10 here, it, it's, a, it's a great dilemma Verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Again, need to understand what Paul is now going to do here as he begins to address Israel's real problem, that problem of their unbelief. And this past, this chapter as a whole is going to focus in on what Paul's doing during his provoking ministry, his, that ministry of Acts 9-28, to 28, within the ranks of Israel. It's very fascinating. C.R. Stam has it in his, in his book back there, and, and you hear other men talk about it. But when you look at what Paul's ministry in Acts were, if you want to understand why he did what he did, you leave Acts and you go read the epistles that he wrote at that time. Okay, So if you want to understand why Paul all of a sudden quit baptizing people, don't look for it in Acts. Who wrote Acts? Luke did. See, Luke is writing a written indictment against Israel that not only did you guys crucify the Messiah, you've cru- you rejected and killed the little flock sent to convert you, and then you went over here and you went after the Apostle Paul, again, sent to you to help you come to belief. It's not written for the historical beginning of the the body of Christ. You know who saw that? Paul says that in 1 Timothy 1. I'm the first guy in. I'm the pattern. See? It's never written for historical beginnings in history. It's written for an indictment against the Israelites. Because what's a Jew going to do at the great white throne judgment? You do know Jews will be at the great white throne judgment. That's death and hell and all the, un- the lost will show up. What are they going to say? We didn't know. He's going to say, yeah, you did. I wrote a whole book to you. You did know. So the thing here in chapter 10 as we get going, and again this morning we're not going to get out of verse 1, okay? I'm just going to tell you that right now. <laughs> but I want you to get introduce the, the flavor to the chapter for you. Paul is dealing with... He's dealing with Israel. So the question in verse 1 is, notice what he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be, what? Saved. And the question is, is saved in what manner? What way? Come over to chapter 11 of Romans. Chapter 11 and Verse 26. Chapter eleven, twenty-six. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Notice that. What's verse 26 say? How many of Israel shall be saved? All of it. Now <laughs> That's obviously different than what is saying. 10.1 says that they might be saved. 11.26 says what? They're going to be saved. But in 11.26, we're talking about national Israel. And Israel, believing Israel, the believing remnant, that, that nation that he's giving the kingdom to, will ultimately be saved in her program. So in 11, or I'm sorry in 101, he's not talking about future national salvation. By the way, their future natural salvation, verse 27, 11:27, comes as a result of him performing the new covenant with them. That's what is talking about. see. But when you come to 10:1, well, what salvation is Paul talking about here? Well, again, context helps, doesn't it? Go back to chapter ten. So we're not talking about the national, the conclusion of their program and the national salvation. We're talking about something else now. Look at ten three. Context. What is Israel's ultimate problem? They're what? Un- they're in unbelief, faith- faithlessness. They're they being ignorant of God's righteousness. They're, they're what? They're lost. They, they're lost sinners on the way to hell. They're sons of Adam now. Because what did chapter 9 tell us? God changed the program. You guys are accursed. You've lost your status with God. You're not the favored nation any longer. You're just like everybody else now. You're part of the heathen group. <laughs> You're uncircumcised in hearts and ears. Stephen pronounced them in Acts 7. You guys are done. You're on the same level now as the gen- what do you What do you mean? God's been our God ever since the beginning with Moses, and you know that, and Abraham, and you know that. And God's word's not reliable. And Paul goes, yeah, it is. It's been right ever since. Well, God's just not being fair. Oh, you really want God to be fair with you, huh? You know what will happen? Well, you know, God's just, uh, And you know what? what is we get a conclusion in chapter 9. The problem isn't God. The problem is they are in unbelief. They're ignorant of God's righteousness. Paul here is sharing his heart's desire, 10.1. My heart's desire is that Israel can do what? Come to salvation, get saved. But how? Again, Israel is still operating in ignorance, in blindness. And that ignorance and that blindness has them in unbelief. And the res- they are, <laughs> that unbelief keeps them from responding positively to Paul and to what God's doing today in the dispensation of grace. Just as it does anyone out there that we talk to about their soul salvation, and they reject it. Remember 2 Corinthians 4, 3. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that are lost. He's got them. He's got them. Watch 10.1. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be, what? Saved. Verse 3. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Verse 10. For with the heart man, what? Believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made for salvation. I'm sorry, is made unto salvation. Look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be, what? Saved. 11, chapter 11, verse 14. If by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save, what's that word? Some of them. Not all of them. But what? Some of them. You see what salvation is Paul talking about? He's talking about Israel become an Israelite being liberated from their from that pursuit of their own righteousness because of their blindness and because of their ignorance, and let them be liberated from that unbelief into saving knowledge of the accomplishment of the Lord Jesus Christ, not in relationship to her prophetic program, but into relationship with what he's doing today. The psalm makes it an individual issue, not a national issue. 1126, all Israel, that's a national issue. Here now, who's he talking to? The individual. Why? Because chapter 9 said the nation is, is mute now. The nation is not important any longer. God is not in nation building. He's not in the real estate business. He's, not, he's dealing with the individuals now. I hope you see that because when Paul says, my heart's desire, again, he, chapter 9, verse 1, 2, and 3, Paul knows that he had a hand that led them, as Saul of Tarsus, into unbelief. He understands that. It's heavy on his heart. Great sorrow, 9.2 says. Heaviness. He understands. So what's he out there doing? He's not calling the nation. He's dealing with the individuals. You follow that? I hope you do. It's critical to catch that. By the way, 11.14. If by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. Again, not the entire nation. He's talking about individuals becoming members of the body of Christ. He's talking about individuals that come, they hear Paul's gospel, and they become, they receive eternal life as a free gift. For by grace are you saved by faith, through faith, right? There you are. So in the Acts ministry of Paul, he understands some things here. Look at verse verse 11. I say then, have they, and the they there is Israel, back up from verse 7 there, have they stumbled that they should fall? What? God forbid. But, rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to... What's that word? Provoke them to jealousy. Now, let's think about this. What, Acts, what Romans eleven eleven does is give you, an Romans 11 through 15, give you an outline of the book of Acts. Okay? They stumble. They stumble at the Lord Jesus Christ, but they don't fall. Okay? Calvary comes. The ascension the Acts period starts. Then they do fall, so they stumble, but no fall. But then they fall, don't they? Historically, that's Acts seven with the stoning of Stephen. You with me? That's where 11, 11 is talking about. But then Paul says he's gonna. They fall. Verse twelve. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the what? Diminishing. There's a diminishing away of them. The diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their Fullness, but I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office, if by any means I might provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. So, so from 9 to 28, what's going on in Israel? They are diminishing. He's going to look up there at verse 15. For if the what? Casting away. Do you know what it is to be a castaway? You have no value. That's casting away, is no value. We're cleaning the garage right now. Oy. And you know what we're doing? Casting away a lot of stuff, a lot of junk, a lot of garbage. I, I pulled out a, a, a screwdriver the other day, and I'm like, what is this? Why isn't it in the toolbox? And then I looked over and the tip's been broken off. And I'm like, now why did I keep the tip broken off the screwdriver? It's useless. It's already gone, brother. I'm sorry. Okay. You know, but then I got to thinking about it. I looked at the box a little more closely. It wasn't my box. It was my father-in-law's box. And I know why he kept it because of his generation and you keep everything and I'll fix it later. And weld it back together. So don't punch him. He's okay. Because <laughs> I got stuff, you know. But see, the thing is, is what is what are they? That he's casting them away. They're, they're, they're useless, they're of no value. But how did but notice Paul? He's he's got a provoking ministry. Paul says, in this time period. I'm here to provoke. Now, provoking can be good and bad, can't it? I can provoke you to anger, or I can provoke you to make some decisions and changes. And Paul begins to provoke Israel. And he's provoking them, the end of verse 11 there, to jealousy. Think about God being, he says, I am a jealous God. Woo, jealousy. They're out there. Israel's out worshiping the idols of the, and the gods of the world. And he says, you've provoked me to anger. Let's see, what's Paul doing in the Acts ministry? He's doing a little sign gifts. He's doing a little of this. He, he's out there. He, Israel begins to see their program, the signs and the wonders of their program. Out there now among Who? The Gentiles. And now the Gentiles, think about that. The Gentiles now have what Israel should have had, but they don't have it anymore. It's gone. The dispensation change took it away from them. Their fall took it away from them. And God says, okay, again, right on time, right where we're supposed to be, Paul is now going to come in here to provoke Israel to realize that God is with the Gentiles. Notice what he says there in verse 11. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles through the ministry and life of Israel. Nope. Not at all. He says he came where? To the Gentiles. Who's missing in the equation? Israel. It's Abraham in Genesis 12 that God says to Abraham, through your seed you will be the blessings to the families of the earth. How are the families of the earth going to be blessed? Through Abraham's seed. Now the families of the earth are blessed without who? Abraham's seed. See, Israel is in a uh-oh moment in the Acts ministry. And Paul's provoking them. He's provoking them to ask the question of why aren't we able to do what the Gentiles are now able to do? Come over to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. I told myself not to get bogged down in this illus- these illustrations, but it, it's rather critical. Look at first, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, and look at verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. You see that guy Sosthenes? Come back to Acts 18. He's an interesting guy. Acts 18. In Acts 18, Paul's in Corinth. Chapter Acts 18. In, in Corinth, the church is joined hard to the synagogue. It's right next door. Okay? Acts 18, if you look there at verse 17, then all the Greeks took Sosthenes. Who is he? He's the chief ruler of the synagogue. But wait a minute. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul says, the chief ruler of the synagogue. Now, what part of Israel does he belong to? The believing remnant or apostate Israel? Apostate Israel. The believing remnant was never chief rulers of the synagogue who's in charge? Apostate Israel. See how Paul says, hey, that, that apostate Israel, that chief ruler, he's now what? 1 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. He's my brother. Brother how? He's brother in Christ because he's an apostate. He's in ignorance and unbelief. Romans 10. See? <laughs> What's their condition here? So what what does Sosthenes see happening at the uh, Corinth church? What does he see? Well, How about 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Sign gifts, speaking in tongues, able to do things. He sees Paul baptizing. He sees Paul take his hanky, wipe his nose, send it into the mail and heal someone when they reached it what he says. He's got special miracles he can do. He's got a, what, are, what do they see? They see that Gentile horde over there. Uh, look, look, look back at 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, this is just so fascinating. Again, when you leave verses in their context, you let them say what they're going to say. And you don't have a hidden agenda. You're not trying to prove a point. 1 Corinthians 12.1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. For ye know that ye were Gentiles, carried away under these dumb idols, even as ye were led. What were those guys at Corinth? They were in a pagan religion, weren't they? They're carried away by dumb idols. They're in a vain religious system. And the the Jews see that. Now they see them doing what? The spiritual gifts. So what would be the natural question then? Why? Why? What in the world is going on? So Sosthenes, chief ruler, what does he do? He goes in and asks the question. And Paul says, I'm glad you ask. Let me show you. And he gets up. Come back to Romans 11. He gets up. Actually, yeah, Romans 11. He gets up and he begins to explain to Sosthenes what's going on. And you keep reading Acts, and by the way, Paul got his replacement as well. What were they doing? What was the Corinthian church doing? They were provoking, weren't they? Why? To to raise the question of, why are you able to do what we should be able to do? We can't do it now. Could you imagine being a Jew and you can't do your signs? Romans 11. Back to verse 14. You see, now all of a sudden the Gentiles over there are able to do that. What in the world is going? Paul says, let me me show you. And he puts up the chart and he goes to work. And Sosthenes goes, yep, I got it. I see that. So Sosthenes leaves one church building, the synagogue, goes right next door to the Bible study and gets educated, gets beat up for it gets educated and becomes a vital member of the church at Corinth. And Paul calls him my brother. Okay? And people will say, "Oh, well, that's because he's a brother of his flesh and he's an Israelite. Yeah, but not according to Acts 18. What was he in Acts 18? He's a chief ruler of the synagogue that identifies him as a member of that apostate nation. He is heathen. Now, go back to Romans 11 and look at verse 14. In Romans 11:14, 14, there's a wonderful word that Paul uses. Emulation. If by any means I may provoke to emulation. Simple definition of emulation is a copycat. And what Paul is trying to get Israel to do is to copy the Gentiles. Paul never provokes a Gentile to copy the Jew. He never does it. But Paul says, I'm here to provoke Israel to copy the Gentiles because there's been a radical shift in how God is now dealing with humanity. And Israel, look over at Acts 15. Oh, man, just the mouth of Peter just nails this. Acts 15. In Acts 15, we'll go here in a minute to Galatians 2, and you'll see these guys. uh, Look at Acts 15. In verse, uh, well, verse 7. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up. So Peter speaking. Okay? And he says there, Men and brethren, ye know not how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's Acts 10. That's Cornelius. By the way, what gospel did Peter preach to Cornelius? That a works of righteousness needed to be done to get saved. Okay? It's what Acts 10 says. If you're going to argue, don't argue with me. Argue with the verse. You take it up with God when you see him. Okay? And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Now watch. For, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, the Jews, shall be saved, even as they, the Gentiles. How are the how are the Gentiles saved? By what? By faith. How are, how is the Jew to be saved? By faith. See, he's Peter's moving them away from the works of righteousness to get saved. See that Peter's own mouth has identified something here. Now I'm jump ahead a little bit. Go back to eleven Romans eleven fourteen, because of what Paul didn't do and did do in his earthly ministry. But let's go back to this emulation. So Paul, in his Acts ministry, he's confronting Israel through signs and wonders and preaching the word, demonstrating that God is now doing something with and through the Gentiles, and he's not dealing with you any longer. So the Jews just love him for it. And hug him and welcome him in and boy. That's why in 10.1... He says, my heart's desire is what? Is that they might be saved. Saved how? In what manner? In Paul's gospel. Because who are they? They are heathen. Okay? Now, real quick, a couple more comments about chapter 10. Paul does reach out to Israel And he does extend to them the opportunity to respond by faith so that they too can be a part of the body of Christ. In chapter 10, Paul goes to the Old Testament constantly. So therefore, chapter 10 is a very Jewish chapter. Okay, And it is not a formula for Gentile salvation. Look at 10.5. Just note it. Just get a feel of the chapter, 10-5. For who? Moses describeth the righteousness. By the way, well, yeah, that's fine. 10-5. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. He went to Leviticus. Moses, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He quotes Joel 2:32 there. Look at verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them. He quotes Isaiah 52. But they have verse 16. But they have not obeyed the gospel for Isaiah saith, and he quotes Isaiah 53, verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went, out, went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. He quotes Psalms 19, verse 19. But I say, did not Israel know first Moses saith? And he quotes again Moses, and he quotes again Deuteronomy. Thirty-two, verse twenty. But Isaiah is very bold, and he quotes Isaiah sixty-five. You see, Paul is all in the Old Testament. Why? Because his audience is who? Israel. That's his audience. His audience. Him explaining what's happening here. Hey Israel, why are you in this diminishing? Why are you in this castaway position? Why are you continuing to to have right now in the present what's happening? It's very Jewish here. He's not over here going, "Okay, Gentiles, You know, this is really for you. But no, he's talking to them. He's not saying, hey, Gentiles, let's go back into the Old Testament and see what God was doing with you back there or what he's going to do with you in the future. By the way, let me just say, Gentile salvation is the focus of the Old Testament. But it's Gentile salvation through who? Through Israel and her plan and her program, not on their own. So Paul uses these passages to confront Israel, to provoke her, to understand that God is doing something else, and you can be a part of it as well. So as we get into chapter 10 here, that's where we're headed, if you will. And really, we're going to be looking at a lot of Paul's Acts ministry. So when you think about that, look at Galatians 2 with me. we got just a few minutes here. Look at Galatians 2. In Romans eleven eleven, we saw they stumbled, then they fell, then they're diminished away and they're cast away, all to provoke to jealousy. Okay? We saw that. They, they were, they're, they're in that position to go down through. Now, this is the Acts period, all right? During the provoking ministry of Paul, Paul, there's several things that Paul's going to do, and we're going to see them as we go, but one you need to catch this morning is that Paul is talking to unbelieving Israel. He never provokes the little flock, the believing remnant, the circumcision believing Israel, however you need to identify that believing element that believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, John 1, Philip and Nathaniel there and so forth, they knew who he was, they trusted him, and they got over here, and they did that Acts ministry from chapters 1 to 7, and they were fluent, and they were flowing, and they were reaping the benefits of the Pentecostal ministry of the little flock, okay? Okay? He never goes and talks to them. You know how you know? Galatians 2, verse 9. Galatians 2, this event is Acts 15. This is Paul's account of Acts 15. Acts 15 is Luke's account from sitting where you're sitting in the crowd. Paul says here's what's going on behind closed doors, here's what's going on in the, the heated conversation. Look there at Acts 2. Look at verse 2. And I went up by revelation. By the way, why did Paul go to to Jerusalem here? Because God sent him. He went up how? By revelation. Oh, yeah, but in Acts 15. No, that's Luke's viewpoint. Here's the man himself. What does he say? The Lord Jesus Christ told me to go. And communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but what? Privately. To them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. So here's a look into the private meeting. Luke was not included in that meeting. Luke is sitting in the audience after the meeting and hears Peter make his pronouncement. And James, the half-brother of the Lord, the pastor of the church there at Jerusalem, make his pronouncement. By the way, you know how that's James, the half brother, James the apostles killed by Herod in Acts 12. We're in Acts 15. We're a few years down the road, okay, from that. Galatians 2 9. And when James, Cephas, there's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, what's that next word? Perceived the grace that was given unto me. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcised. Do you see how Peter, James, and John, what, perceived? Prior to this meeting, Peter, James, and John, the little flock, the circumcision, don't understand what Paul's ministry is all about prior to this meeting right here. Because it wouldn't have said what perceived. It would have said they already got it. But the verse uses a word perceived, perception. Light bulbs go off. Oh, that's what's going on. You remember in, in Acts twenty-one when James, when Paul gets to Jerusalem and James says, "Hey, the rumor is that you're against Moses and the law." So Paul goes, does some weird things. I, I, it's like okay, whatever. What was the, and the rumor is true. Paul has preached against the law of Moses. But what are they doing? There they are. See, they didn't understand. Perceived. They got it. In Acts 15, you know how, by the way, you know how you know you know, another way you know they got it? What did they give to Paul and Barnabas? The right hand of fellowship. Do you know what the right hand of fellowship illustrates? In Matthew 16, the Lord says, whatever you bind is bound in heaven and whatever you loosed is loosed in heaven and loosed on the earth and all that. That, that authority to do what? Make an agreement. And that agreement was a handshake. You know what Peter's saying? You're in, you're, God is working through the Gentiles. He's working through the Apostle Paul. He's doing something else. And I'm stepping back. And I'm going to focus on who? 2-9. Who? The circumcision. That little flock that's been out here so what happens this is Acts 15 what happened to the little flock eventually they are going to do what die off they're going to die old age gets them You with? from Acts 15 on you never see Peter, James and John well you see James just in that mention in Acts 21 ever again talked about why? because the focus is now on the body of Christ, and the Apostle Paul. Paul agrees not to interfere with the believing remnant, not to go over there and to stir them up. That's why in Acts 15, Peter would make that comment. We read a minute ago, why do you put a yoke on their necks? We can't even do. Peter and and the guys there in Acts 15, they're going to send letters and uh, a, 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 a group of men to go out and to tell the Jews to Knock it it off. Why do they have to do that? Because you got those two elements in Israel. You got the believing remnant and you got the apostate. And who's Paul going to? He's going to the heathen. Acts 7, Stephen has already declared Israel to be heathen. That's already their condition. Who's left standing as a believer? That little flock. When Paul says, let's raise an offering for the poor saints at Jerusalem, who's he talking about? It isn't these guys. They didn't sell out and give it at the apostles' feet. Who did that? Those guys did. I hope this is making some sense. You guys looking at me like, oh, my goodness. Calm down, Rick. It just gets me. Go to Acts 13. Paul, is in his Acts ministry, Paul does go to Israel, but it's the heathen, it's the apostate nation. He never provokes the circumcision. He never provokes the believing remnant. He never provokes the little flock. Actually, there's evidence in Paul's travels that he stayed out of an area because the believing remnant were in that area. And the Holy Spirit tells him, "You can't go up there yet." But then a few years later, where is he? He's up in that area. So then, well, he says in Romans fifteen, "I didn't work on another man's foundation." And everybody goes, "Oh, the other man? Who's that? How about that little flock being in that area? He stayed out of that. Why? Because his job isn't to provoke these guys. His job's to go get them. They're the vessel fitted for wrath." All right, put it in order. Look at Acts 13. Acts 13, 26. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation. Who's he talking to? Who's the children of Abraham? Who's the stock of Abraham? This is Paul's first recorded public message. He's been preaching long before this. Where is he? He's in the synagogue, verse 14. He went into the synagogue. Who's in the synagogue? Believing remnant or apostate Israel? Apostate Israel. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to that unbelieving element that apostate verse 27, for they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Whew. Who's he talking? You know, he ain't talking to a bunch of Gentiles there. Who's in that audience? Jews are. He's provoking them to jealousy. By the way, if you look down at verse 38, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, and that's the Holy One there in verse 35 and 36, the Lord is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all. See how it went all? All is who? Everybody. All that believe are justified From all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Whoa, what did he just stick there? Boy, he just says, hey, that law, that thing you're pursuing, that righteousness by the law, it ain't going to do it. Come over to chapter 17. Chapter 17. Chapter 17. Verse 1. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where, there, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preached unto you, is Christ. Notice what his message is in the synagogue. He takes the Old Testament, and what does he come to the conclusion? The same, what Peter said to him in Acts 2. The guy you killed over there was who? Was Messiah, Christ, but he's also now your Savior in my gospel. See, See what his message was? Everybody went, oh, what did oh, what did Paul preach in the synagogue? How about verse 3? That's what he preached in the synagogues. Everywhere, as his manner was. Every man, he comes into town. Where does he go? To the Jew first. Why? Because my heart's desire is that Israel, my blood, my flesh and blood would get what? Get saved. But not in their, their program, but in the new program. Chapter 18. Ooh, Makes you I get tingles. Well, oh, it's time to quit. But chapter 18, look at verse 5. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Verse 19. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he continued not, and off he goes. Verse 28. For he mightily convinced the Jews. And that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. What's he doing? You know what Paul's saying? Israel, your Messiah, is the same guy that went and died for all mankind. Come over to chapter 28 and we'll be done here. Chapter 28 and verse 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him unto his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. He sat with them. He used the Old Testament scripture that he was well versed in, understood clearly what was going on, to come over and to say that, hey, listen, the Messiah, the Jehovah that the Old Testament talked about is the same guy that I'm telling you about today in the new program. He died once for all. That's it. So when you come to chapter 10 of Romans, you see, we're in a very Jewish conversation here. Why? Because Israel is continuing present day in her pursuit of self-righteousness, in unbelief. And Paul is going to demonstrate, and he's going to, he's demonstrating that all the law, the prophets, the Psalms, all of them were talking about Messiah, all of that happened. And yet now you have a renewed opportunity to believe. Not in your program, but over here in the new program. Okay? All right. It's time to quit. But this stuff, folks, if you can grasp what Paul's doing in Acts 10, because we're talking about his earthly, his Acts period ministry, it opens the understanding so greatly. If you let verse 1 be who he's talking to, which is Israel. If you think it's you, you're going to stumble. You're going to break your full spiritual neck. You, you will. But man, if you leave it to, he's writing to Israel, not the believing remnant, but that apostate nation, then this stuff begins to make makes better sense, more understandable. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your Son for the fact that you did come and die for all of mankind. You did raise up the Apostle Paul to make that message known, and we thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen.